Thank you, Lord, for your word. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free, free from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law could not do, it was weakened because it was weakened through flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and concerning sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the spirit. For the outlook of the flesh is death, but the outlook of the spirit is life and peace, because the outlook of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to the law of God, nor is it able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, this person does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is in the spirit is your life because of righteousness. Moreover, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through this spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirits that we are God's children. And if the children, then heirs, namely heirs of God, and also fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grow inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. And we know that all things work for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that is, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say about these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who is the one who will condemn? Christ is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, and who is also interceding for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we encounter death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things that come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And very important that uh, during our prayer, uh, Jerry, I think you were, you were praying about that foundation. I was reminded of a job that Gary did uh, a while back. Uh, a full house built up in Trail Trophy, what it was called. Um, and so, Trip, you know, there was, uh, they were trying to have issues with the foundation. I mean, you know, trying to get a, a good foundation for this house because it was just a bunch of sand, which is all all in our hills and the mountains and stuff. And so he ended up doing how many how many poles? Fifty, like rebar steel, thirty feet deep or more, like tiling down, like digging way down deep. And it, it feels like there's almost like this bedrock that. That's been covered in dirt, covered in dirt, and there are, there are some places on our society, especially in the church at large, that have built their trying to you know, build on this foundation of the dirt. But now we're in a tumultuous season where there's floodwaters and, and mudslides, and the only things that are surviving are those that have truly gone down to the bedrock. All these other houses are falling off the cliffs. There's a vision I was having in my head as, as, as Sharon was praying. Was, was, was Mary's project. And, and so we, you know, putting ourselves firmly on the foundation of Christ and our identity in Him. And that's what we've been talking about uh, this morning. Because, like you said, parenting is hard. <laughs> you know, parenting is so difficult in our world today in general. But, but you know, I, I want to specifically go into uh, the fathers. I've been, I've been working through this in my own life as well. But just as we think about our father, when you think about your father, what is the image that comes to your mind? What kind of father did you have? Or do you have? Um, because when a child feels rejected, sidelined, less important to their father, um, they're either they to continue you know, to feel that the focus of criticism on their lives uh, or in condemnation, uh, it, you know, depending on the relationship with their father. And I want to talk about this concept of father specifically when it comes to our heavenly father. What is our perception of our heavenly father? Because oftentimes they get tied together. Our perception of our earthly father gets tied to our relationship with our heavenly father. You know, there's a movie called The Shack, well, first book. And basically, God chose to reveal himself to this man who was suffering uh, this horrendous loss of his daughter, 
uh, through a murder, kidnapping and murder. And, and he was wrestling with God, and he had just seen God as this angry old man on the throne, and so he just knew God decided to present himself as a black woman. And it, it threw evangelicalism into a huge tizzy. God is not a black woman. I'm like, the, I understand the concept. So basically, understanding the heart of what he's trying to present. You know me as father in a very bad way. And so I feel like right now, in order to really hear me, you need a mother. You need to hear my gentle, nurturing, loving heart. Like a mom. Talking to if that is, that is what God wants for us, is to hear him clearly. And so, um, has religion itself and traditional you know, Christianity uh, made God to be more like a harsh critic than a compassionate father in your life? That God is so black and white in, a, in all areas of life and faith that basically you're either good or bad, and that if you're doing good, you're, you're good. If you're doing bad, you're bad. And you have to keep a short account with God in order to be good. You have to say sorry in just the right way and repent and appropriate the grace of God into your life just the right way for it to continue. But what is God's heart for you when you think of God the Father? Now, this is a story. This is actually a Facebook um, thread. Uh, that I stumbled upon this week, and I was like, this, this is an awesome example of what I'm talking about. So this was uh, so this was my original post. I said, life is like a roller coaster. It sometimes involves waiting, anticipating, excitement, fear, passing out, screaming, and yes, the occasional mom. But it's still totally worth the adventure. And I think I wrote this for myself in 2020. <laughs> this was back in 2009, like 11 years ago, uh, earlier this week. But then I, I, was, I was really intrigued by the, the threats of, of comments that, that followed. Uh, so my friend Candace said, it's true though. Thanks, I, I really needed to hear that. And then uh, a guy we'll call him Jim said, why is it worth the ride exactly? I mean, folks say that that kind of thing all the time. But what exactly makes the ride worth it? Is there some kind of prize for getting it right? And Candace said, Jim, spending your life knowing Jesus Christ and the ups and downs of it, learning to trust in God alone and learning to surrender yourself to Him is totally worth it. Because in every situation, God is there and very noticeable. And when you do recognize Him during that ride, it just makes it so much more and you know, so much more fun and freaking awesome. In my life, Jesus Christ is totally worth the ride of the adventure. Jim then said, but since it's all just temporary and bound for the fire anyhow, why is the point? What is the point of all the fun and freaking awesomeness? I know Jesus is plenty, but that doesn't make this rat hole a guaranteed carnival ride today. And Candace said, God is the fun and freaking awesomeness for me. And you're right. This place is a rat hole and bound for fire, but the Bible says that we are not to place our trust in the things of this world, but in Him. No. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that this world is going to be smiley faces and rainbows, but it talks about trials and tribulations, great joy and great sorrow. That is what I think Alan is, is trying to say in this metaphor, that the Bible is right. We, have, we, we will experience those times of waiting, anticipation, fear, passing out, screamings, and vomit, which to me represents disgust. But for me, I know that my treasure is stored in heaven, 
And that is where my roller coaster ends. What does Alan's metaphor mean to you? <laughs> what about another lady chimed in, uh, Shelly? She said, Jim, have you been reading Ecclesiastes again? This is definitely not going to be fun when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't think you have been, you don't have to pretend it is. But you will, this side of heaven, enjoy the ride again. I hope to be around to see it happen. Then Jim said, the line that goes, oh, this life has its struggles, but it's so worth it, feels like sugar water. It's not biblical, but it sure goes down smooth, eh? And I said, it is biblical, actually. Romans 8.16, through whatever. You can keep reading, and it just, it just keeps getting sweeter. But the best part, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children, then, heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It doesn't say it'll be fine, but he says that we endure the trials and crap of this world in order to gain the future heavenly enjoyment of being fellow heirs of Christ. No matter what other people you know, can or will do to us, and or whoever, however much we screw up, we must suffer with him, picking up our, our cross daily, and then we will be glorified with him. That's a lot, a lot of meat to it, but it still goes down smooth. And Jim said, this is where it starts to go to Jim. Amen, too. But I don't like the line of a boy I keep getting. Not from you, pal. This is not an accusation of him. About the ups and downs and the great adventure that life is. This life is suffering, period. It is separation from our Creator, and it sinks. It is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I can't make that compare with the runaway mind trip somehow. P.S. I really mean no disrespect to my friend and pastor. I just have been getting a lot of well-meaning, horrible advice lately, and I'm pretty much done with the whole pie in the sky. Tomorrow, another day, look on the bright side stuff. It sounds like a lie. We have to tell ourselves so that we're willing to get out of bed in the morning. On the flip side, I get hope. I understand you both personally and biblically, but it's not a hope for here and now. There's no promise that here on this planet, in this lifetime, we get to have some great epic novel, worthy, novel-worthy life stories just because we're believers. If I'm wrong, there's a word from God that promises ups and downs, ups to go with the downs, I'm begging you to help me find it. I said, then you really need to come to the fellowship. We're going to talk about First Peter, the suffering book. It's tough to compare something with heaven, knowing that everything in life sucks. But looking at what the Lord has blessed us with and, and taking comfort that he is with us in our broken and hurting state. He's given you two great kids who love the heck out of you. A group of friends that love you, that love you dearly and want the best for you. A church family who will always be there with you. <laughs> A good job. I could go on. You are loved, not just by us, but mo most importantly by the Lord who is always with us and will never leave us. Keep your lives free from love and money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The subtext in, in that message from Jim is that he had, he had been suicidal for months. Coming to our fellowship, his wife had gotten pregnant by her kid's Bible teacher, 
After having not been intimate with him for 15 years, because she came from a very traditional church practice. And he was basically, if it weren't for my kids, I would just end it all. I don't know if it was that night or not, because I was begging him to come to fellowship. And one of those nights, it flipped. And he came with a smile on his face. Because, not because God answered his questions, not because God made it feel like it was less, you know, the stuff around was less bad, but that he could have joy in the midst of it. Because Christ's presence in his life. But also, I think because he was driving to a group of people who he knew loved him and had been walking with him in his depression for months, wanting to love him, so much so that he even married one of them. Because all she wanted to do was love him, showing God's love in his life. And now they have one of the most amazing marriages I know. And I got to be there with her. That is the happy and joyful. Now, anyway, you know, it's still going today. They're still alive in Texas today. But this is a beautiful story about God's transformational power through the covenant that God has with his people, but also because of the fellowship. He was waking up. As the song said, I'm waking up, I'm waking up, breathing my lungs. Joy in my, you know, like a little hop in my step, not because of the life around me and the circumstances around me, but because of God and because of His people, because of the genuine, authentic community relationships I have around me. Because when you wake up to your identity, to your true identity, you walk in God's complete victory as Steve read earlier. That the phrase, more than conquerors, we walk in God's complete victory. That's what being more than a conqueror means. Now the question is, who am I? Who am I? And the great question, who am I? You know, if you're, if you're reading in verse 14, in this passage, we get a good picture of this. For all those uh, led by God's Spirit are God's children. He says sons, but sons and daughters is implied there. Children, offspring, heirs. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies to, together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if God's children also heirs, Heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified in him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So that is our identity. I want to run down a list of everything that Romans 8 talks, you know, tells us. If you're taking notes, these are great notes to be taken right here. There are seven of these things that I'm going to list out. Just, and these may be just beginning. There may be so much more in this that you can even identify. Maybe it's been the rest of this week in Romans 8. You know, this is a great passage to just sit in because this is the culmination of this first part of Romans. The culmination of Paul's theology for us in our theology and our, our relationship with him individually. 
So he says this, you know, number one, we are in Christ. Therefore, there is now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ and have placed your faith and pledged allegiance to Christ and him alone, you are in Christ. He says there's now no condemnation. As you just, uh, you know, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. It's gone. The new has come. It is now, here, now. And this was the, the thing I was like, we were working with Jim about, was his new identity. That that is a present reality, not just something that you have to appropriate and get better at. The new has come. We're enjoying the newness. Romans 6, walking in the newness of life today. You're in Christ, and there is great power. Soon, setting that, that free. I, I would love to just do a whole study and just read and, and, and delve into the concept of what does that mean to be in Christ? There's such a deep thing to study into. Number two, we are free. Number two, we are free. Verse two. So because the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are set free. Galatians 5, 1 13 says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Again, he says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Don't go back and live in the junk of the world again. Because you can set free. Like using the analogy before, it's like sitting in a, in a jail cell that's unlocked with shackles that won't lock. You're just sitting there going, oh, I'm free. Oh, well, me. I'm sorry, God. I'm such a word. No, you're free. Get your butt out there and enjoy life. You're free of the bondages of sin and death. You're free of guilt and shame. You are free of any accusation. Like it even says in Romans, can anyone, anyone bring an accusation against God's elect, against God's beloved. Nope. Doesn't matter what you do, no one can bring an accusation against you because God has set you free. He has taken all of your sin upon himself, and you are free not to engage in the things of the world, but free from the things of the world. As if you had to abide by them anymore. You're free from them. Number three, Verses 4 through 10, I'm not reading, but verses 4 through 10. Those who we are, those who walk or live according to the Spirit, we have set our minds on the things that are of the Spirit, which brings life and peace. Remember that word peace, shalom, life as God designed it to be. Living in that, being in Christ and free and, and walking like those according to the Spirit. I want to touch on, on something briefly here. I don't want to go too deeply into, into this. But I've been really starting to get overwhelmed by this, by this concept. Now, I know I've said in the past, and I want to roll back on what I've said in the past, that, that social media is, is amoral. That social media itself is just a tool. And it's just something we use. And there's good things that happen with it, and there are a lot of bad things, but having an understanding of it now um, I kind of feel a little, a little millennial wokeness going on right now. <laughs> There's a movie called The Social Dilemma, and they do all this incredible research, and it is freaking scary. Like, to say, to show how every click, every, you know, how long you stay, stay on a picture or on a post, 
because they want you, they, they literally want to suck you in and keep you strong. And I have a very, a very key phrase that I, I want to, to understand, to, to present to all of us this morning. And this is to me too. And Andrew and I have been wrestling with this all week. Um, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. If you're not paying for a service, then you are the service of someone else. The way that, that Facebook and social media, Twitter, Instagram, all these social media platforms make money is by you being on it to see the marketers' advertisements. And so they, they do everything in their power. All their algorithms are set to get you sucked in. Notifications there, and, and what to show you, and what to recommend videos, and they have you down to a T. With all these algorithms and supercomputers to get you sucked in and stay isolated in a fake world of social media. So delete your phone, your, your profiles. No, I mean, if you feel that way, do it. I mean, I don't, I always kind of felt like that need, that need of like separating myself from it, you know, like trying to get it. Oh, I have the willpower, I won't look at it, I won't look at it, I'll turn the notifications off. I'll, I'll go on here, I won't look at it. I'll delete my phone. And then I'll be on my computer for, for days. <laughs> you know, I'll do research for a sermon, yes, and a couple hours later. What did I just do with my life? Made a lot of money, a lot of money for markers. Uh, but our, our thought is, is, is this, this oh, and I want to be careful with how I present this because I don't want to tell you what to do with this. I just want to present the information and that social media is not on goal. Social media has an agenda to set your minds on it. To suck your minds and your attention and your time and your affection and your anger to get you riled up so you keep scrolling and find out more information about the election. Keep you scrolling and commenting and, and proving that someone's wrong on the internet. They just need notice. But I want, I want us to understand we are in Christ. We are free. We're free from the bonds of social media and the world around us. And God's calling us to set our minds to walk and live according to the Spirit. Because if you're living your life scrolling social media, you're living your life walking by social media. You're walking by the flesh, the earthly realm. And so as much as you can, I adjure you, please, free yourself from the bonds of social media. Free yourselves from the bonds of screens and electronics. For the sake of you and your children, and your children's children, and your children's children's children, free yourself and your kids from the screens. It is sucking the life out of us on purpose. Set your mind on the things and come alive, number four. We are, you are alive. Number, you know, number uh, verse 11. It says, For the, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you. So that's how we truly come alive. 
It's his Holy Spirit living within us. Building up one another in the faith. Building one another up in the body. I am alive. You are alive. You are alive. Breath in your lungs. Waking up to life. Number six. I'm sorry, number five. We are, you are, those who love God. In the, in the scripture passages there. Where he just, he just kind of compounds it and compounds it and compounds it. You were foreknew. You were ordained, predestined. You are called. You are justified. And this is baffling, but it's glory. You are glorified. And sometimes we may not get that. Oh, I'm in this earth and I'm, just, I'm struggling and I'm stumbling and I'm sinning all the time. But understand that God is saying, no, no, you're foreknown. You were ordained by God, set apart for his glory. You were called. He called you out. He justified you. Paid for all of your trespasses. Because remember, every single one of your sins was future to Jesus when he was dying on the cross. And he had paid for all of it. You know how he appropriated it? By pledging your faith in Christ. That's how God's grace has been applied to your entire life. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forevermore. You are justified. And get this one, this last one. Here's the glory. Here's the excitement. Here's the joy. You are glorified. Not in. D. Eris. Past. Past tense. Present tense. Glorified. You are living in a glorified state. Today. That's the joy of our faith. It's not just this, oh, I've got my life left for later down the road one day. When I die one day, then I'll, I'll be happy. Then I'll be filled with joy. Then I'll be filled with peace. Then I'll be filled with satisfaction. Then I'll be filled with relationships and meaning. Today, you can have purpose. Today, you have fulfillment. Today, you have strength. Because you have been glorified by God in his presence. And you can... Curl, you know, curl up into God's lap. Enter into the throne room of grace with confidence and a prayer through the relationship with God. Seeking comfort, seeking satisfaction, seeking joy, seeking comfort because it's where you belong. It sounds like that he might allow you there. If you're, if you got, you know, your, your account straight with God. You repent of that. And you're accepted. Because you felt bad enough about your sins that God would accept you. You are loved by God. And we love God. Because He first loved you and called you and justified you and glorified you. Number six. We are those, you are those who have complete victory. Verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We have complete victory, as the NET, NET says, through him who loved us. Is that word again? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love 
of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the glory of being glorified with Christ. That you are living and walking in complete victory. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. That's what it means to live according to God's presence in your life. Number seven, you are a child of God. This whole thing is about being a child of God. Now, you might be asking yourself, why have I been told this all the time? Oh, you know, that one, we're all God's children. No game. This is a common misunderstanding of the world today. Oh, we're all God's children. God created all of us. God loves us all. God loves the world. He gave us the only God, God Son. Comma. So that whoever believes in him would not perish. It says all over scripture. Verse 14 here. It says, it says the very thing. It says, for all those who are led by God's spirit are God's sons. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, and John 1, uh, 10 through 13. Pull it over right here. Pull it over here. Got a Bible? This one I wanted to read specifically. John 1, verse 10 through 13 says, He was in the world, and the world was created by him, but the world did not recognize him, did not accept him. He came to us his own, the Jewish people, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name and place their faith and pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ alone, to them, to say, he has given the right to become children. Children not born of human parents, but or by human desires, but a husband's or, or a husband's decision, but by God. We are made children of God when we place our faith in Christ. We as the church, saints, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, followers of the way, those who have been filled with God's presence. And it says, for those, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have God's Spirit, because you have placed your faith in Christ. You are God's children. You are God's child. If you're outside of Christ, you ain't a child. You're still a slave. You're a slave to, to unrighteousness and the world. But if you believe in Christ and place your faith in Him, place your allegiance, place your allegiance to Christ and Him alone, then you are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You become part of that family of faith, the family of God. Because, here's a reminder, when you wake up to your true identity, all these things and much more, when you wake up to your true identity, you walk in complete victory, in God's complete victory. But what do we do about it? How, how do we do this? Like, what do we do? So I understand my identity. What do we do about it? Well, just like you babies, you cry out. I need something, God. I need you. Cry out to God. I mean, the Israelites did this with Moses. You know, he, they cry out to the Lord. And what did it say? The Lord heard. The Lord remembered. The Lord saw. 
and the Lord were new, which means he engaged. He got engaged. He heard, he remembered, he saw, and he engaged. He acted. Judges, they constantly cried out because of the consequences of their own actions, and God heard and sent deliverer. There's this back and forth, the whole, the whole book of Judges, very impressive. <laughs> David, you really know the Psalms, I don't know how they're singing the Psalms from our day by day. The Psalms are all about David constantly crying out to the Lord. Oh Lord, you're awesome! Oh Lord, you suck! Oh Lord, where are you? Oh there you are, God. Yeah. It's like this back and forth wrestling, crying out with God, crying out to God, yelling to God, just yearning for God. Jesus, Jesus himself gave us a beautiful picture of this. Jesus was constantly going away. We, we're in the tennis. What do we do in the summertime? We got a dodge. Go camping. Go hiking. Go backpacking. Go RVing. Go hot tubbing. Or, or a hot springing. There. We get out of dodge. We like to go away and get into the mountains. Now there's some crazy, ridiculous, insane people uh, who like to go out in the wintertime to do this. Now they're the ones that like, you know, skin up a mountain 2,000 feet and ski down. That will never be one of those people. Washington shows you there. <laughs> but we, we get out of Jesus, kind of dodge. He went for a hike. He, he was constantly going and hearing. He was retreating to hear from his father and coming back to walk in the spirit. To walk it out, to live it. And he said to us, cry out. Cry out. We cry out to God in the midst of COVID, in the midst of political. I think that's a great expression for what's going on now. Just doesn't matter what, you know, who you prefer in the White House or in Congress. It's just our loneliness. And fear and busyness. It almost seems like life has gotten busier and more frantic. It's almost like the dial has been turned up because there's desperation. There's desperation. This is, uh, I was talking to a, a guy yesterday, his name's Luke, and we, we kind of, he said, we're like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. This is now, I'm going to coin this year. This is the year of fear. In every element of life—political, health, relationships, job, church, faith, body—people get the COVID body, right? Uh, big families, small Zoom meetings. The year of fear, and so we need to step out and cry out. Come to the end of yourself to realize your true self. Come to the end of yourself so that you can realize your true self. Because your true self is in Christ. And when your flesh fails, when, when your, your body and your mind gets to the end of itself, I can say, don't wait till then. Don't kill your dream of land. Don't kill your emotions and get angry and fearful all the time. Turn off social media. Turn off the TV. Use your newspaper as kindling first. Comes in right in front of us. Retreat. The 
much as you can into Christ and into his people. Look at you in a second. God can handle everything you have done. Pray. Yell, scream, cry, dance, prostrate yourself. You know, ask to be prayed over by other people. There is huge power in being prayed over by our brothers and sisters in Christ. God can handle everything. Don't hold back because he wants to bring you to that place of crying out to him. Because if you are afraid that he can't handle it or will be disappointed in you or you shouldn't feel a certain way when you come to God, get that out of your mind. Feel that certain way because it's how you feel. And bring it to God because he can handle it. And number two, endure. Cry out to the Lord so that you can endure. Persevere. As it says in the scripture, persevere, endure all these things. Verse 25 says, Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience, or with patient endurance. Hope in Christ. How do we, how do we endure and persevere? By putting our hope in Christ, whom we cannot see, knowing that the Spirit of Christ is inside us, crying out. What does the Bible say? How, what is, how is he crying out inside of us? Dead. Spirit of Christ, who cries out, Abba. Father. The word Abba was actually translated from the Hebrew into the Aramaic. I'm sorry, from the Aramaic to the Greek, which means daddy. It's a familial, beloved, from a child to his dad, to his father, to his or her father. It's this daddy. Cry out to God, daddy. Like my son, he's like, daddy, I'm like, buddy. Every time. Daddy, buddy. Because God wants to know. Cry out to him, daddy. He'll say, buddy. I'm here. I'm here. Something I haven't realized with Jay that I, that I didn't realize until much later. Something I haven't realized that I should have given, you know, should have given, you know, given us more to talk about. Just back in the post when I touched on this, he, I said, "Come to the fellowship." Now, the fellowship was a Bible study that we had at the, at the coffee shop every Thursday night. This is where we built our community. The coffee shop, awesome, beautiful community, and I invited him into that. To remind him that there was a group of people who loved him. There was a group of people who were there for him. Because that's where Christ was looking. Not just in a personal relationship with God, but in the life of the community with him and around him. To be in Christ is the Christ in and among us as the church. Us. That, as the Bible says, is a mystery hidden before all ages past, and now put on display, revealed in this, this current time. This, the hope of glory. What is it? Christ in us. The word you is plural. Christ in all. So what does that mean? That we, well, one, cry out together as a church, praying and 
praying for one another, praying amongst one another, us crying out together. And number two, enduring, persevering together as a church led by God. There's a, there's a, a post that I saw on Facebook this, this week, and I'm going with this. Discipleship and house fellowship groups. There was a post that I saw um, from a pastor who I was like super surprised that I saw this from this pastor. Like, what? what? You know what? What? I was so surprised that you posted something like this. But I was like, this is what we've been saying for over a year now at Shift Church. So, according to Douglas Campbell, Pauline Dominic's author of his book, discipleship in the first century happened in gathering small circles of disciples, groups of 10 or 12, and meeting together to dine, to drink, and to discuss things. There would be a teacher, there would be an intense Inter, there would be intense interrelationality where mimesis, imitation, could happen. Does that sound familiar? Anyone? Just look, imitation. Evidently, um, discipleship didn't happen primarily in one on one mentorship meetings. It did not happen in gender specific groups. These house to house meetings were not driven by cognitive Bible teaching, although teaching would occur. They were 10 to 12 people. Gathering around the table weekly or more, processing things of living out of our lives in Christ, the ruler of the world. I can think of no practice more important for my life and my family's life than this regular routine. And this is important. I want, you, I want us to, to hear these words. This to me is the backbone of the future church. Although gathering together in the risen presence of Christ on Sunday is key, it cannot sustain a discipleship without these neighborhood gatherings. And so as we backtrack again to our identity, to understand that, yes, you are who you are in Christ, but more importantly, we are in Christ. We are the free people of God. We walk according to the Spirit and His guidance and His leadership. We are alive. We are loved by God, the chosen people of God, as it says. We are the church, the beloved. We are those who have complete victory, more than conquerors, together. We are the children of God. Together, a family. And that's how we go. These are our friendly dinner days, breakfast days on Sundays. So as we, if you have your 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 liturgy, uh, your your paper today, um, there's a prayer on that. But I'd like us to pray together as we as we end our time. As we pray together, let this prayer sink into our hearts together as a church, as God's people. Let's pray these words. We pray to you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. May you give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, our healer. Teach us your way, O Lord, and we will walk in your truth. Give us an undivided heart that we might revere your name. Lord, look upon the threats of the world around us and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal 
and signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, we do indeed pray on these things. We pray your unity, we pray your strength and your leadership and your identity and our understanding of our identity in Christ so that we can walk in complete victory, in your complete victory, God. That we all may walk by the Spirit as we walk by your Spirit together. And authentically, Lord Jesus. Help us to continually do better. Help us to improve. Let us, let us get better. Let us grow and mature in our ability to cultivate authentic community. Because we, we yearn for community, God. All of us yearn for community. Lord, help us to cultivate it here at Ship Church. Help us to cultivate it with brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, Lord Jesus, to let these, these meetings be the light in the world where we gather so that people may even join our act groups and come to faith in Jesus Christ because they see people living out their faith in genuine ways and send each one of us into this world to cultivate these, these personal relationships so that we can shift these everyday, ordinary relationships with coworkers and friends and family or people at the restaurant or coffee shop or wherever we're at, we're into authentic community so that we can live your adventure together fully alive. It's in Jesus' name that we all these things. Amen. <clears throat>